Each one of us has got a, uh, a, a, just a short bit to share, something that each one of us thought was particularly, and uh, Steve is the timekeeper, and sometimes you had a lot of other noise and interruptions, and so uh, Steve's in charge of noise and interruptions if we get out of, out of our scheduled time here. That's not just noise, that is what we, when you're driving in India, and if any of you have ever been there, it's just a constant horn, because in a two-lane highway, you'll have six lanes, and... Uh, <laughs> You're honking going around, so I thought I'd bring this along just to kind of <laughs> remind us about our trip. Uh, one of the things, uh, one of the highlights for me was just praying for people there. People would come forward, and a lot of the people that came forward you knew were seekers. And uh, in our society, a lot of times you don't know who the seekers are. Over there, uh, it was kind of obvious because a lot of them would have the bindi, the red dot, on their forehead. So you knew that they were Hindus, but they were coming to, to find God, to seek God. And uh, that was precious, being able to pray with people who wanted to know who the one true God is, not the many gods. And uh, so that was, God kind of challenged me. Um, you know, in our lives around here, we don't see who are the seekers, but people everywhere want to know who God is. And so it, I just uh, feel like I need to be more aware of people around me who want to be prayed for. Over there they came forward and waited in line. Here they probably won't do that, but still they're there. So that was a big uh, challenge for me and encouragement to uh, know that God wanted to touch people wherever they are. Hi, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, we really felt it over there. Um, I was just going to talk a little bit about um, something that God was really teaching me over there um, that struck me was unity in Christ. And uh, we had the, I don't know, privilege or um, something of being over there while the election happened. Um, so <laughs> that was um, really struck me because uh, I could see through communication from people back home how divided um, you know, our country and people were, and even amongst my friends and family. And we did not experience that. We had differences of opinion, but it really fell by the wayside um, that we had some things so much bigger in common, um, and that was the unity in Christ. And we needed to be unified for the spiritual warfare that was going on over there. Um, so it was really encouraging to me um, that we can have differences of opinion about all kinds of things, and politics is one, um, but also in worship style with the churches over there, the unity that um, we felt with the believers over there, that things, um, practices of applications from scripture or worship could look so different and that might divide a church here with um, how, how, you know, how women sit on one side and men on the other are covering, women covering their heads, that things that might say, I'm not going to a church that does that, doesn't, I don't agree with that, or it doesn't matter, you know, there, there's something so much bigger. Um, so that really struck me that we are unified in Christ, and it was encouraging to me. I wrote some notes. Um, so God taught me a lot of things in India, um, um, but one thing that came up right away was um, just to be trusting in Him and not relying on myself. Um, before going to India, didn't really know exactly what my role was going to be in this group, uh, which was challenging for me because I generally like to have a plan and a purpose in what I'm doing. Um, but in addition to that, um, not having an overall plan, um, once we arrived, it quickly became clear that each day would require flexibility. Um, we began using the term IST, 
which technically stands for India Standard Time, the times when we were in. Um, but to us meant India f Stretchable Time. Uh, we never knew exactly what would happen next or when that would happen. For example, maybe we were told at 5 o'clock we'd be going to a prayer gathering, but um, in, the, in reality, we'd end up at a birthday party at 8 p.m. So it was definitely um, different. Um, the communication and planning were totally out of my hands, and I often felt frustrated by that. Um, but God quickly reminded me that I need to be relying on him and his timing, as this was his trip, and he knew what timing was best. Um, instead of worrying, I needed to be in prayer, um, reading his word and having faith that he was in control and that what we were doing and when were in his plan and not mine. Um, one moment that really impacted me was towards the end of the trip. Uh, we visited this um, a picture behind me of this, this village church, um, a small body of believers that are in the process of constructing their church. Um, this body is mainly made up of women and children who are fairly new to their faith. Um, and a few of the women in the church, um, those pictured in this photo, um, actually raised money in order to purchase the land where they're building the church. Um, these women have almost nothing. They are incredibly poor, extremely poor compared to our standards. Um, but in all of that, they had, their faith was so strong um, that they were willing to make great sacrifices in order to build the church so that they, their children, and future generations um, can come and have a place to worship and learn about God. Um, being able to meet these women was an incredible blessing for me, as we'd heard about them um, prior to going. And uh, my prayer now is that God will increase my faith to be more like these women who are trusting so completely in him. Hmm. Jim? I wanted to thank everyone for praying. <clears throat> you know, this is my second year, and it was so interesting because it was nothing like the first year in so many ways, but in other ways it was it was very much the same. But we just felt this overriding covering of prayer. Andrea mentioned it, also the unity that comes with that, and just having a sense of the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. When Jesus began his ministry, um, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's still doing it. But what's so interesting is that he does it through ordinary people. And to be able to witness, <clears throat> there's two ladies there on the left and the right um, both were um, tormented, uh, uh, delivered, and if you could look at their face, I only have three minutes, so I'm not going to go on. If you could look at their face and you could see the smile, um, but at the same time, it was, you could see how it's a process because you could see that they were delivered, you could see God's power at work in their life, you could see it in their face and their eyes and their smile. But the next day, they would come back and, and we'd tell them, you know, uh, Jesus is the only way. Uh, and and it's, you could see how so, so often that, that thing that bound them, they had a hard time letting go. And a lot of times, it wasn't the miracle that God was going to do. It was that they would be able to let go. And, and I just couldn't help but think of um, how similar that is for all of us. And in Christ offers us freedom. He provides everything we need for life and godliness. 
And, uh, and it's going to be a process for them. We know it's going to take time, but God's doing a great work. The needs are great. And God has given us a place to meet, um, minister and meet those needs. Well, I'm going to read mine because I don't want to face that air horn. <laughs> so, um, I was struck, you know, of course, you enter a foreign country and the sights, the smells, everything, it's overwhelming and, and you're kind of fogged at first. And um, as the fog began to lift, I was particularly struck um, by the hopelessness and despair evident on the faces of so many. Um, the poverty is horrific. The misery factor of daily life is over the top. While I expected much of this, I was somewhat surprised by the level of spiritual warfare that we would encounter. Many, many people came and asked for prayer, but four women in the span of five days were demon-possessed or tormented. We didn't know it going in, but as we entered into prayer, a life and death struggle would begin for the soul of that woman. It was as if a birth were taking place. The screaming, the writhing, the convulsing. The job had to be done, and it called for willingness and preparation. And it was an incredible joy to see our pastor and our elders step up and accept the responsibility before them and to see the wisdom of God's plan of leadership in the church become so radiantly clear. We women joined into the battle, and sometimes more was required of us because we were dealing with women in these particular cases. The battle was fierce, and everyone stepped up to participate in prayer. You all know Ephesians 6, the passage about the armor of God. And it suddenly jumped to life as I found myself shouting scripture that I had memorized 25 years before, never dreaming that one day it would be used in battle to stand against the enemy. Reflecting later, it was so clear that the years of reciting and meditating on those precious verses were like training sessions, learning to handle a weapon, the handling and the skillful manipulation. When the battle line was suddenly drawn, there was no fear. Jesus Christ was already the victor, and knowing his word and having the ability to wield it gave a boldness to stand firm until the enemy fled. It seems self-evident that this kind of activity is coming to this country. Sooner rather than later, as we slip further and further into cultural and religious chaos, people all around us are enslaved and in need of God's deliverance. Are we willing? Are we prepared? India's lesson to me was a piercing reminder that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, as Hebrews tells us, and that having that weapon ready is more than important. It's our duty as servants and soldiers of Christ. The... Uh the largest role that I played was, um, hang on just a sec, Steve. We're, don't go wandering off here. Sometimes it was like that. It was like herding chickens to keep the group I thought we were in India well. there. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it was going to be one of those sudden prayers. I was going to ask you to pray in just a minute, but I'll give you advance notice now. But um, my role often was to, was to stay at the, at the Ray of Hope Center and to be participating in the, in the Bible Training for Church Pastors program that we were just starting. We had some bumps and, and, uh, and uh, kind of 
kind of starts and restarts with that as well because um, unknown to us was there was going to be a big festival that pastors would be, would be called by their churches to participate in that would interrupt the training sessions here and there. And so we, we would have all the students there, and then the next day they wouldn't come, and we found out that that was the reason why. Uh, but um, So learned some things about planning and scheduling, and it was a great opportunity for the team there to see the, the importance of, in fact, it was one of the things they pointed out afterwards, that they're going to have to be aware of the importance of the cultural rhythms as they schedule these classes. But I was so impressed with these young men, those that were um, uh, some young, some a little older, but, but uh, hung, hungry to, to learn God's Word and devoted to the ministry of proclaiming God's Word and pastoring churches, not having any kind of real training. They've got the Bible, they've heard things from other people, and so they're going to go on that basis. They're going to start. And, and so the desire is we give them a stronger foundation from which they can minister the Word. And, and our desire is, as, as this begins to take root, that those that complete this first class will then be able to, out in some of those villages, outlying areas, they'll be able to take it around and teach it again and equip more and more. So it's got a good start. And the, the two men who will be leading the charge there, um, they are Pastor Robert and Pastor Emmanuel. So during the training, it was mostly Pastor Robert and Pastor Robert. So that was kind of fun as we went back and forth in the training that first week. But uh, those two guys both have a heart for the Word. In fact, Pastor Robert gave us, on behalf of Ray of Hope, he gave our church a gift. And it's a William, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. So this is available. It's it's kind of a one a one um, a all-in-one Bible resource. So it has overviews of books. It has some explanations. It has some theological uh, surveys and 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 questions answered. And so a lot of what you'd want to know and help you understand your Bible to get, you could find in one book. It's not unlike the the small library that these students will get and the study Bible that they will use. But it just spoke to me about. His heart, Pastor Robert's heart, he wants people to know their Bibles, to be able to open their Bible and understand it so they can stand on God's Word, stand on God's promises. In, a, in the midst of a culture where there's all kinds of truths floating around together, uh, they need that in the church in India. And so as we continue to pray for the work, we saw churches, the one church you mentioned with the women who purchased the property, uh, our church just helped to put the roof on that building. And that building now standing there is a testimony of the gospel in the midst of that community. It's a family home where the church can gather. And uh, yet even more important is the strengthening of pastors for these churches. That if we build up the leaders of these churches, they will build up the church. They will feed and nourish the church, and the church will be strengthened, and those churches that are strengthened will be building their own buildings. And they will be planting new churches. And so what we've entered into with them and what we'll have to continue is a huge work with, with long-range ramifications. So I want us to pray. Give thanks for what we've, se what we've seen God do. And I want us to pray as a church body for that ministry of Ray of Hope and many of its capacities to be continuing in the, in the months and years ahead. So Steve, would you lead us in prayer? Dear Lord, we just humbly come before you, Lord, thanking you for... What you're doing in the world, Lord, thanking you for seeing you move, seeing people transformed. Lord, we just pray that even as we went over there to encourage them, Lord, how they encouraged us, saw their passion to 
bring people to you, Lord, to bring the gospel to a place that desperately needs it. But we do too here, Lord. And uh, so, Lord, we just ask you, even, even this morning, Lord, to prepare our hearts to reach out to those around us here, Lord. Not all of us can go uh, to a place like India, but we can all be here, Lord, and reach out to those that you want us to touch, Lord. Just help us to be faithful, to uh, be aware, Lord, to be ready at all times to uh, give a word um, for you, Lord, that the gospel may go forth. Lord, we just pray for each and every person here this morning, Lord, that their hearts will be encouraged and uh, stretched, Lord, uh, and their feet shod with the preparation of peace, Lord, in their daily lives. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Take it to heaven. Thanks. One of the uh, things that I longed for, well, in the midst of uh, lots of spicy food and breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, we knew we were going to have um, curry, chili, rice, and some chicken mixed in, and we were going to have that again the next meal and the one after that. And, and after a while, for breakfast in the morning, I just longed for one of these. Just brought some with us. I, I think I used them one or two mornings, but most of the time you couldn't, couldn't escape because breakfast was ready and the hospitality was, was, was so, uh, so gracious and overwhelming that you just couldn't say no. No, seriously, you could not say no. And uh, I just wanted to just take my little packet of oatmeal and just add water. <laughs> it's so easy. Just add water. And I, and I, I could draw an analogy there. You know, Jesus, Jesus brings living water. But you know, as I, as I thought about that more, there's something else about the Christian life in this little packet. That uh, I can take this oatmeal and I can just add water. But what I'm going to end up with is not water, but mostly oatmeal. In a sense... People there, in the midst of Hinduism, Hindus are fairly open to Jesus. They have 33 million gods in India. 33 million divinities, demigods, the spirits that there's a temple for and that are honored and worshipped and feared. And so adding Jesus into that mix is no big deal. They are, they are happy to just add Jesus and they see, in a sense, the prosperity of those from the West who have this Jesus. And so, well, maybe that will work for them. Maybe that will help them if they just add Jesus. But what you end up with, like adding water to the oatmeal, you still, you, you still end up with oatmeal. When you just add Jesus to a mix of all kinds of spiritualities or other things in life that you rely on as well, you don't end up with faith, faith in Christ. You end up with that oatmeal of faith, that mix of other things with a little bit of Jesus flavoring added to it. Now, that's not merely an India problem. It's an American problem. We also have the tendency to want to just add Jesus to many other things 
that we trust in as well. Things that on a, on, a, on, a, on a holiday like Thanksgiving, things that we are thankful for. Things that we would point to and say, I thank God for this and this and many good things. But often the things that we actually are trusting in. We want to add Jesus into that mix. We'll just add Jesus. And so my question for us this morning, something that struck me while in India, while in Bidar, I didn't plan ahead what I was going to share with you this morning because I knew while we were there, there would be something that the Lord would be teaching me and that would be the thing also then to be showing you. And, and, I, and I want to pose the question because it was posed to people there. Do you want Jesus also or Jesus only? Do we trust in Jesus also along with other things? much like some of those 33 gods or demigods or divinities, spiritual powers? Or do we trust Jesus only? Is that biblical, Jesus also? Are there really other gods, or is, it just, or is this just a myth? Is it a myth that there's these 33 million spiritual powers that are known to people in India? Well, if you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I think you find us on page 956 if you're using the church Bible. But, but 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to pick up in the middle of a discussion of, well, how does a Christian now relate to the idol temples and the feasts that occur there? That's, that seems kind of a strange question for us because we don't have a lot of idol temples around our countryside. It's a huge issue in India because one of the things that Christians, those who come to faith in Christ, one of the things, if they remove the red bindi, it's an obvious declaration to their friends, their family, their community that they're no longer Hindu. They have become Christian. And that's going to come with a cost. That's, there's going to be a price to be paid for that change. Is there any reality to the spirituality of, of the culture? So Paul addresses it in Corinth in the area around Greece. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there, there is no God but one. There is only one God. I think everybody sitting here would agree with that. There's only one God. For, although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So there is one creator God, there is one true God, and yet there are all these other gods or lords. And these are the, are, are the ones, the spirit beings, that people in India answer to. We ran into that constantly. As, as Paul says later on here in, 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 in uh, chapter 10, verse 20, he's carrying on the same conversation in chapter 8, 9, and 10. I'm not going to take the time to work through it because our time will be gone. But um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 20, he says, what the, pagans, what the pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. So, Paul is acknowledging there, there are idols and there are demons behind the idols. And when they offer an offering in an idol's temple, they are offering it to a spiritual being, a spiritual entity, a spiritual power. Ephesians 6 was referenced by Diane earlier, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
but against principles and powers, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies, that this is a reality. There is a spiritual warfare, and it, and it is against an arrangement, an ordering, an administration of spiritual beings, evil spiritual beings, demonic powers. We kind of take that for granted. We read it. It's there, but we, hmm, we ran into it face to face. I didn't know what that was going to be like. I wasn't quite expecting it. But one thing that became clear very early is I, I thought in the midst of, a, a, of an exorcism, I guess you would call it, I'd be afraid. I mean, this is a spiritual encounter. This is real. And it was. And yet, it wasn't fearful at all. We were calling out in the name of the true and the living God. We did wrestle against principalities and power, not against flesh and blood. We held them close and saw them come several times to faith in Jesus Christ. After, after a spirit departed, after a spirit left, then we saw, you know, the, the shrieking stopped and the violent action stopped and then there was, the, there was peace and calm. And it was just like in the Gospels where it says that the people came and found him calm and in his right mind. And then the pastor could go through with that person, step by step, a presentation of the gospel and a confession of faith in Christ that Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead. And as they went, and th that was something that in the, midst of, in the midst of the demonic oppression, in the midst of the spirit, they could not do it. Again and again, they could not. You begin to name the name of Jesus, and that's when the shouting starts. There, this was real. I didn't see anything like it. But the one thing that was absent for us was fear. A little apprehension at first. What do we do here? They didn't cover this in seminary. Not very deeply. And yet there we were. But the answer was actually quite simple. It was to proclaim the gospel. It was to call on the name. It was to point to the little mustard seed of faith that this person had had exercised when they came to the Christian, knowing they were a Christian who would pray for them in Jesus' name to pray for me. I have this trouble, and I think Jesus can help. There's a little grain, little mustard seed of faith there. And that's what we grabbed hold of. We said, God, look, that's what they've done. They have exercised a first step of faith in Jesus. Would you honor that? Would you claim them as your own? Would you chase this enemy away? And he did. You see, the God of this age has blinded so that they do not believe. This is an issue in salvation. This is why we pray for those that we want to see come to faith in Christ. It's not merely that if they would only figure it out, if they could only be smart enough, if we could only explain it more clearly, they'd get it. If we could only be a little more persuasive, it's a spiritual problem. We've got to start with prayer. Every one of these deliverances that we saw began with prayer. The, the, and it was continued prayer. It wasn't just, you know, sometimes we pray for things. Somebody's got a need and we pray. Okay, you know, we're going to let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. Okay, we prayed. We asked God. Now we're going to leave it with him. We'll back away and we'll just see what God does. That didn't work in these settings. It just didn't. I understand a, a, a little more deeply now what it means when Jesus said that this kind, type only comes, up by, comes out by prayer and fasting, that you continue in prayer. One time, dinner was ready. In fact, one time, there was a birthday party that was ready to go outside, and yet this was going on, and we kept praying. 
We were in. We were engaged, and we weren't going to stop. We were going to continue prayer. No matter what else was happening that we would miss, we were going to continue in prayer until God answered. And he did. And he did. And that woman, that night, while there's a birthday party outside, there was a birthday party inside. And in that Bible training center for pastor, it became a deliverance center. They thought about renaming the place. This happened over and over again. And, and that while somebody was celebrating another birthday over here, somebody was celebrating new birth in Jesus inside that training room. And we praise God for what we saw him do there. But you know, one of the issues for, for one of the women, it came up while we were praying, it came to me that, that uh, if she's going to call on Jesus only, not just add Jesus, not Jesus also, but Jesus only, then there, there was, there, is there anything that is a marker on here, anything that is binding her to her trust in other powers, her trust in other spirit beings? And it turned out there was. There's this little string thing on her wrist. And this was, in effect, a charm, an amulet that she had been given by a priest that this was connecting her to a spirit who would help her in some trouble or who, to whom she, she was answerable to. And, and the, the tangible step in faith in Jesus only was to cut off that string. And at first she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. And, and we couldn't go any further. And then finally, somehow, as we prayed, as we prayed, she said, okay, let's cut it off. And her friend went and ran and got a knife and came back. And, okay, there was a knife involved. This is getting a little scary. <laughs> Fortunately, I had my eyes closed at that time. I never saw the knife. But the knife cuts off the string, and it was from there that she was able to call on Jesus for herself, releasing that binding and the Lord saved her. That step of faith. The, the amazing thing, her friend, because of family pressure, she told us she believes in Jesus, but she, can't, she won't take the string off. She won't take the bindi off because her family will trouble her and persecute her if she does. So she's bound by that family, family pressure to keep these charms on. And it doesn't mean that she's not saved. But there's a foothold. There's an opportunity. There's an entanglement with the enemy that might be similar to a Christian dabbling in the occult or maybe toying with a Ouija board. Inviting some contact with spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. Is that something we really do? We, we ran into it in India, but are we really, as Christians here, are we in danger of idolatry? Are we in danger of toying with idols? Some of you say yes. Well, you may have read ahead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7, Paul warns Christians to not be idolaters. He says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And by play, he's, refer he's referring back to the issue, the, 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 the story of the golden calf. And after the idolatry with the golden calf, when they, when they sat down and ate an idolatrous feast around this idol, then they rose up to play and it was, it was a wholesale immorality. That's why he goes on the next, in the next verse, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day that there was a cost to be played. I think 
If, if, if Paul grabs hold of that, they sat down to eat and they rose up to pray. There we have a couple of classic American idols, gluttony and immorality. We have so much and we indulge ourselves so easily on things that we might, we might legitimately receive and also things we have no business toying with. Gluttony, immorality. You could add to that covetousness, which Paul calls idolatry, and I think you'd have the perfect American trifecta of idolatry. Gluttony, immorality, and materialism. These are the things that easily bind us. These are the things that Paul would warn against. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. Paul's pouring his heart out to this church. He's got a real tender spot for the Philippian church. He pours his heart out to them and, and he warns them of an insidious evil that will easily grab hold of them. It's already in the midst of the church. He urges them, I'll start in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Be careful who you follow. He says, because for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's no self-denial here. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They serve their own appetites. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. It doesn't take much imagination to fill in, the, fill in the squares a little bit and realize there again is that perfect American trifecta of, of idolatry, gluttony, immorality, and materialism, setting our minds on earthly things. I say this because as I was, as we were praying for this woman, as we were urging her in prayer to cut off the strings that bound her, God spoke to me. He said, what about the strings around your heart? What about the things that you go to for fulfillment instead of me? What about the ways that you, in a sense, self-medicate? When you're feeling kind of down, you go there or there to lift yourself back up instead of remembering again who you are in me and all that I've done for you. What are the things that we dabble in that we have no business in that end up being we too are Jesus also instead of trusting in Jesus only? He said, Jesus only is New Testament Christianity. Jesus only is vibrant Christianity. You want your spiritual life to be something a little different, a little more alive than it is. The answer is not Jesus also, but Jesus only. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul described the Thessalonian church and how, they, how, the, how their testimony had gone out far and wide in the midst of, of, of harsh persecution. He says, you turn to God from idols. You turn to God from idols, turning away to God. And it's not a, a picking out everything out of life. It's instead a turning to God. It's a devotion to the true and living God. He says you turn to God from idols to serve the true and the living God and to wait for his son from heaven, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We have no fear. Whom shall I be afraid of? Jesus has saved me from any wrath. You know, we had a saying 
in India was, was something I passed on to the group. I, 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 I often quote now and again that a pastor should be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. So I passed that on to the group, but I stopped saying it after a while because we, we learned that there would be sudden sermons. I remember I was asked to please speak a birthday message at this birthday party just about two minutes before it was going to start. I would have liked a little preparation. Those sudden sermons happened a lot. Sudden prayer. Uh, you never know when something like this was going to pop up, and there we would be. Uh, there were a lot of sudden things that happened, and I was afraid if I kept re reciting that preach, prayer, die at a moment's notice, and sudden death might come up too. <laughs> so we're... Uh, going to just lay that aside. I think that was thought up by somebody who lived in the suburbs and served in a nice church and never really got close. As I prayed for that woman, I mentioned as, as I prayed for Laxmi, God spoke to me. He spoke to me about cutting off the bindings, cutting off those other things that I would trust in as well. You know, when 1 John speaks of fellowship, when 1 John speaks of walking in the light, that's the context in which he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 is not an evangelistic. It's not a come to Jesus and be saved chapter. That's John 3 in the gospel. Or John 5 in John's gospel. 1 John chapter 1 is writing for the assurance and the vitality of the Christian life of those who do believe that he might find them walking in the truth. And the way to walk in the light is he is in the light. The way to have that fellowship that John says he has and he wants you to have too, the way to have it is that we lay the idols aside. We'll confess our sins. We'll trust him to cleanse them from us. Cutting off the strings, letting ourselves loose. One of the stories we learned while we were there is the story of Jotapa. I don't know if I've got the name right, but Jotapa was the first Christian in Bidur, the first one to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He apparently came to faith in Jesus Christ early in 1896. There he was as a Hindu priest. He had his idols, and apparently he had this cave that he, that he had carved out of this, of, this rock, of, of this rock wall on a hillside, and he had his idols in there. And along came this missionary through the jungle or just the rough bush. And it was a rainy night. It was a terrible night. And this missionary's come along, first traveling into this area. And he, and he meets this man named Jotapa. And jo they begin a conversation. And Jotapa invites him to shelter with him in his cave overnight because it's a miserable night. And he does. And in that night, as their conversation continues, Jotapa came to faith in Christ. He was the first Christian in Bidur. His son became, one of the, he became the first district superintendent or church leader for all of that region. His, um, his, um, let's see, his daughter had a son who became also a district superintendent, and he became the father of someone you know as Raymond Raj. So... Raymond's, who founded Ray of Hope, his great-grandfather was the first Christian in Bidur who laid aside his idols, and later that same cave was dedicated to the Lord to be used by Christians as a prayer cave, a prayer chapel, so to speak, 
They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. There's a beautiful, huge tree in the plaza marking where, where, where his grave is and the, and the prayer cave is just on this side of it. So really, if we're looking at that tree, the prayer cave is where you are. And that tree, you know, it's a huge tree. We took a picture of our group in the tree. You'll see that in the newsletter. And, and this tree, it just speaks of how that one man's absolute and devoted faith in Christ changed his family tree. And so will yours. His son became a leader in the church there as the church began to flourish and grow, as branches began to spread out. His, his grandson became a leader in the church there. His great-grandson, even after he left India, continues through Ray of Hope to have a huge impact in that whole region around Beter. You also can change the impact you have on the people around you, on the impact that your family has. In impact, you, there is no way that you can foresee, and it begins simply here. Not Jesus also. Not Jesus also in the midst of many other things in life, but folks, it's Jesus only. In Christ alone. I don't know what it is that you need to lay aside this morning. There's something. There is for you, there is for me. And I would encourage you, something we learned in the churches there, that after a service, everybody came forward to pray. Part of that was because we were Americans. It was a novelty. They figured for some reason we had, we had, a, a, we had a lifeline to God, and God would hear our prayers and answer them in the way that he might not hear them otherwise. Well, they couldn't have been watching the election news too closely. But they did come to God through prayer. I'd encourage you to do that in your own family. With somebody here before you leave today, we're going to have plenty of time. There's going to be gathering around the Thanksgiving dinner in the midst of giving to thanks. Also, grab somebody and say, would you pray for me? Grab somebody you trust, one of our elders, one of our leaders, or somebody that you're close to that you can say, there's, there's something, or you can tell them what it is. You can name it and say, this is something. It might be harmless to other people, but it's entrapping me. I need to let it go because it's, it's pulling me away from trust in Christ alone. For my fulfillment, for my joy, for my pleasure, for my standing of who I am and why I matter. All of that is in Jesus only. All of that is in Christ alone. Would you pray with me? Father, you know our need. You know our desperate plea. Father, you know right now what is in the hearts of each one here. If there be something, if there be anything, Lord, that is in some way in the way, in some way hinders fellowship, in some way keeps us from finding our real joy and fulfillment in you, then now would be the time to lay that aside. Right here would be the time to turn to God from idols, to trust in Christ alone. Father, would you hear our cries this morning, even if it is just a small mustard seed of faith, would you hear our cries that we want to walk in the light as you are in the light. We want to have fellowship with you. We want to know that joy, that fullness, that fulfillment. 
of resting in you. Father, as we receive this offering now, as we devote what we have to you in whatever measure, Lord, as on these cards we pen a request, Lord, would you take that name of someone that needs faith in Jesus? Would you hear our prayer? Father, would you cause us to rally around and to pray for these with the same determination that we prayed there? Father, would you hear the cry of your people as we hunger for you, for Christ alone? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.